we're having all these conversations about like when we're 90 and reflecting on our lives, you know, are we going to wonder what could have like, what could we have done if we had tried this full on? That's ultra runner extraordinaire, Courtney DeWalter. DeWalter. <laughs> and this is the Wilder Mind Podcast. My mind grows wilder When I stoke that fire inside Hear the call in the distance It's a long road worth your while Hey, hi, hello everyone and welcome to the Wilder Mind Podcast. I am your host, Cody Camerlin, and thank you so much for being here with the pod. Today, we sit down with the ultra-athlete Courtney DeWalter in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in a former gold rush town that is aptly named Golden. Home to Coors Brewing, the National Earthquake Information Center, the birthplace of the Jolly Rancher Candy, and the burial place of Buffalo Bill Cody. And with an increasing amount, home of many a go-hard athlete. And few, if any, in the ultra-running world go harder than Courtney. Among her many accolades, she won the 2017 Moab 240. That's a 240.3 mile foot race by 10 hours. Overall winner, everyone. She beat them all by 10 hours. Just think about that for a minute. Imagine what you can do with 10 hours. For example, I could leave my front door here in Salt Lake, drive to Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming, and back in that amount of time. She was the first female of the Western State's 100-mile endurance run, a crown jewel in the ultra-running community. And recently, she was the first female of the 2019 UTMB. (laughs) You did it, Courtney. And to top it all off, what you'll hear are the words of one of the kindest, most supportive and positive humans I have ever had the pleasure to know. Courtney and I recorded this episode as part of the process for a film that we were shooting for one of her sponsors, Sufferfest Beer Company. Trust me, you can find that link in the show notes for sure. Over the course of the following days, not only did her and our production crew have an absolute blast and do our part to deplete the local stock of Sufferfest Beer, we witnessed her never-ending support of the community. Good morning. Hey, how are you? What a lovely day. She made sure everyone we passed by received some sort of warm greeting from her. And the amount of people that would stop and share with her that she inspired them to run further, train harder, and achieve their goals, it was beautiful. And every single one of them received her full and undivided attention, like they were the only person that mattered at that moment. To say that Courtney is one of the good ones would be an understatement if ever there was one. She's one of the best ones. I know many of you out there think of me as a climber, and boy oh boy do I love climbing. But running ignites a fire inside me unlike anything else in the outdoors. There are three runners that I hold in the highest regard. Three heroes. Today, I have the deep, deep honor to share the words of one of my personal heroes, Courtney DeWalter. There's an old adage about training until your heroes become your rivals. Now, I'm not so certain that will ever be the case here, but for now, 
I'll gladly settle with podcasting until my heroes sit at the mic. Now, let's do the damn thing. Courtney and I met up at her place after a long drive from my home in Salt Lake City to hers in Golden. Unfortunately, once I hit Vail, the last 100 miles were fairly dicey. But thankfully, I arrived unscathed. I'm glad you made it safely. And I was quite curious how that weather might be impacting her training. It's been okay. The The trails have been a little mucked up from the snow, but um, it's more like the snow melt cycle that messes things up. Like it gets slushy and then it freezes. So you have frozen ice all over them. So I've been doing a ton of roads lately, which I don't mind either. Yeah, because you grew up cross country, right? You were always more trail running. Yeah, cross country. um, I mean, I think in high school training for cross country, we ran a ton on the road. So running always was to me like a thing you did on sidewalks and bike trails and yeah, then we'd race on a golf course. Oh, oh yeah. That's actually, yeah, that's funny. That's like the history of cross country because it started in like the UK, right? And I think so. Yeah, and they did it on golf courses because that was all they had. Ours, Our races in Minnesota were pretty much always on a golf course. No kidding. That almost sounds like really fancy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're like ascots and they're like, pip, pip, like, have a great run. We, cause I coached cross country uh, when I lived in San Diego, the middle school team. And a lot of them were just in parks. Yeah. Like public parks. So it would be kind of weird. You'd like fence off the course and then there would be people out like having an evening right. at the park and like all these little middle schoolers running around, like not knowing where to go. It was hysteria. It was like mass hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you coach as well, right? Um, I did. When I was teaching, I would coach the cross-country teams at those schools. And on the subject of teaching, the thing that Courtney had to leave behind to pursue running full-time. I love teaching. I did it for nine years. I did um, high school biology and chemistry, and then I taught eighth grade science for the majority of it. And it's super fun. Like I think science is super cool. And, um, to, you know, maybe get some people excited about science to, you know, carry on into the future is fun. Um, but when the opportunity kind of came up where this was an option to pursue running full time, it was, um, it wasn't that difficult because it was, you know, trying to just take advantage of now and knowing that, um, this body won't always work like it does. And, and so this is, you know, a little side street of life where I'm getting to do this thing for a while. And then when the ride's over, I'll, you know, reassess if it's back into a classroom or, or what life after running looks like. I I feel like all too often we're pushed to say like, this is the path I'm going to take. And I can't really veer from that path because everything is planned out. Um, but I mean, look how amazing things can be if you're like, yeah, I'll take advantage of what I have and what I can do now. Yeah. Before I was totally of the mindset that you get on a life track and then that's, you know, your life for the next 80 years or however many you get to live. Yeah. Um, and it felt like a little bit crazy to do this, but I was just surrounded by, you know, family and my husband and friends who, um, also, you know, were there to support it. And 
um, to know that like if I failed in that first year of trying it, if, you know, the running thing didn't go well or I hated it or found myself hating running suddenly, to know that like I'd still have the support of these people for trying this thing was important. And on top of that, the support system is often the same one that crews her on her ultras. These are the folks that know the course start to finish, the weather, what food an athlete responds to, what will boost their morale, and when the darkness will hit and beyond. And a major shout out goes to a huge part of Courtney's crew, her husband, Kevin, who, by the way, was incredibly awesome to get to know throughout this entire process. Um, Courtney and I first met, um, I could run maybe five miles max on a good day, and uh, she was training for her first 100-mile race and asked if I wanted to crew her for it. And I had to ask her what that meant. I didn't know what crewing was. I didn't know people ran 100 miles. I thought I could maybe follow her on a bicycle or something. <laughs> yeah, you were like, what do I, drive next to you? <laughs> yeah, it's been so fun and I'm so lucky that they're not only willing to be out there doing these things, um, but they like it. Because that's not guaranteed either. And <laughs> the events I choose are, you know, the really long ones. So Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Not making it easy for them. <laughs> no, definitely not. What did that look like for um, UTMB? Did like the whole crew, was everybody out there? For UTMB, I had um, Kevin, my husband, and then two friends out there. But... Uh, not everyone could make it out to France. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. What a great spot. <laughs> yeah. No, they, um, I mean, it was still so great. And to be able to share that race with them and, you know, have them there at the finish line to have a beer with after was yes. perfect. I pick up a beer can and get to feeling like Superman. It's Friday night, y'all, here's the plan. I'm gonna throw UTMB. Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc is a 171-kilometer, 106-mile race in the Alps through France, Italy, and Switzerland. The total elevation gain is around 10,040 meters, or 32,940 feet. It's much believed to be one of the most difficult foot races in the world and has tough entry qualification requirements, as well as high DNF figures that did not finish, reaching 42% in 2016. For many, qualifying for the race is a huge life accomplishment. For others, that might be finishing at the front of the pack, and for an elite few, that would be standing on the podium. And then there's Courtney. Last year, she won the female field by around an hour. Her closest competition, the phenom Yao Miao of China, had arrived nearly a month before it was time to toe the line. She ran sections of the course to dial her plan in. Courtney, however, did not. She'd never even raced UTMB before. So she essentially showed up blind and smashed it. And it was insane. I mean, the race had been really difficult for me. So coming out of, you know, traveling across mountains for 100 miles, and I was entirely wrecked. Like my brain was wrecked and my body had nothing left in it. Um, But you get in, you start getting towards town and it's Um, probably one kilometer of like the cobblestone streets through town to get to the finish line and people were just lined up along the whole thing cheering like crazy and you know I've never given so many high fives and it was like as I got closer and closer and there were more and more of these um, people and high fives it was 
making it so I suddenly felt refreshed again, even though like one mile back, I swear I could have laid down and slept for like three days out on the rocks. You know, I was wiped. So it was cool. There was a lot of energy that was just infectious and to be back there was really special. Oh my gosh. Oh, I can't even imagine. (laughs) And when you're, when you're in a race like that, are there moments where you're running like with fear, you know, if you look back and, or like someone tells you that they're pacing kind of close or catching up, does that ever like put a sense of fear on your shoulders or is that just something that motivates you to just keep digging deep? Yeah, I think it's a motivator. I think I don't put a lot of, um, weight into like a lot of times on course you might hear some information of how far back someone is or how far you have to go to the next aid or something. But, um, sometimes there's misinformation. And so like putting a lot of stock in, in what you hear isn't always super helpful. Um, so I take that information, you know, if it comes, but more like I'm always just trying to put my foot on the gas pedal and keep it down as hard as I can and sustain it. If no one's back there, maybe I'll even pretend someone's back there because it might, you know, help me push the gas pedal down better. But um, yeah, for me, it's like just trying to push as hard as I can the whole time and and see what I can do on that day, regardless of who's in front of me or who's behind me or where it's all, you know, piecing together. Seems to work out pretty well. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Except when the circumstances are entirely beyond our control. Leading up to UTMB, just months prior at the Western States 100 race, when Courtney stopped at an aid station to refill a water bottle. And when I took the next step out of it to run, my hip um, gave out under me and shot pain down my entire leg. And so for the next 13 miles, I was, you know, trying to fix it, stretch it, like do whatever I could. But every time I tried to run on it, it just buckled under me. Um, And it was like crazy pain shooting down my leg. Like I'd never experienced that before. So when we got to mile 80, um, my whole crew was there. My family was out there. You know, we kind of had a team huddle and, and the options were to walk it in. Running wasn't an option anymore, but I had 20 miles left and could definitely make the cutoff. So like finish it just to finish it or um, call it there at mile 80 and and try and figure out what was actually wrong and fix it. Yeah. So we called it. It was just a little bit too risky feeling because we had no idea what family the injury was even in. Oh, sure. It's like, is this bone? Is this tissue like what's going on so pulled the plug which was a bummer but um ended up I think being a really like a highlight of for me of just running in general because I think it's taught me a lot that I can take to move forward with and uh I don't think I would have learned that lesson any other way you know (laughs) for sure it's like that thing um especially both of us having like coaching experience with kids that you try to instill in them that from the bad things. And like, I don't know a better way to put it right now because my brain's still kind of like (laughs) jumbled, but it's like out of injuries or out of like something bad that happens. Those are where the bigger lessons come from. For sure. We learn so much about ourselves and our capabilities. Yeah. And the, the bummer is a lot of times just hearing the lessons, you know, doesn't work, but you have to actually experience it yourself before it, sinks in. Yeah, especially <laughs> when you're stubborn and 
there's no way that you're not stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) What? And that was like, what, two months before UTMB? Yep, almost exactly. (laughs) Wow. Damn. And how did it feel going into UTMB? Was it like all there or were you like, oh boy, I'm aware that this is bad? Um, I was aware and, you know, the training had been like all hodgepodge, like working with my physical therapist to just get it better took, you know, forever. I don't, I didn't run very much in the whole month of July. Basically I had switched over to a road bike and every time I ran on it, you know, we could make a little progress, but then would have to ease off again. So by August I was able to, um, get a little more running training in and got the clearance like, okay, go for it at UTMB, you know, like see what happens. And so lining up, it was, you know, present in my mind, but I didn't want it to be an excuse or like anything in my brain, you know, ready to take that out ever. I wanted to line up like telling myself that I was going to give it everything I had and race like normal. And, and then if it, it did show up again and, you know, I couldn't run on it again or whatever, then I would, you know, figure it out. But, um, I didn't want to like, I don't know. I wanted to line up and and race like normal and just see. Jesus. So that like, and you'll have to like bear with me for a moment because I'm going to be kind of rambly, but (laughs) I think that goes into like the kind of the whole you know, suffering and darkness and suffer fast. And like everybody I feel like wants to know what Courtney DeWalter's like darkness is. So they're digging to see like, what is it that you're, that you're running from or towards because it's intimidating if someone doesn't have that. Like if your opponent has some level of darkness, you can know that, all right, I know that's going to tear them down at some point and maybe I can attack then and I can get past them. Um, like, I, I feel like maybe there is, the darkness is just going out and battling your abilities and your desire maybe not so much um, to win, but not to lose. Um, and in those same lines, if I'm wrong, I'm going to edit this because I don't care about being right. I just don't like to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> is that in itself, like, what you're looking to do, like, go out and hurt and see how far you can take it. Yeah, exactly what I'm trying to do. I, um, I love it and I'm just so curious what's possible. And I've found, you know, that I've got these feet and, you know, I'm having fun figuring out the mental side of it and, and, uh, have the opportunity right now to just keep looking for that limit and, and seeing how fast I can do it and, and how far I can go. And that's super fun to me. And, uh, I'm not like running from anything, but I, I do look forward to when I'm in those races, like arriving at the entrance of the pain cave yeah, and like going into that and, and digging in and trying to, you know, make it as big as I can, because the bigger the cave gets, you know, the, the farther and faster I can go and, um, the like more in my head I can get during those, which oh yeah, our minds can help us do so much. So I think it's so cool to to get that chance to you know go into this place that hurts so bad you like bury yourself in it. You know? Oh hell yeah! It's it's a drug. It's an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> like I um obviously don't don't run at your level, but like my pain cave, I love to go for like a really hard. Like, can I maintain like? low fives, high fours for a 5k and just go. Cause 
front, front to back, it just hurts. Yeah. And after a half mile, you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. This sucks. <laughs> but your mind, like, you just have to jump in there and figure out some way to pull through. Yeah. And, like, every second is agonizing, and it's just so good. Yeah. I, it's so fun. And, uh, yeah. Now when I get to the pain cave, it's like, sweet, this means we're doing something, you know, that we love and we're pushing this limit and like you can't snap your fingers and just arrive to the pain cave entrance. You have to be doing something to get there. And you got to be doing something hard to get there. Yeah. So is it like you pull like any of your scientific background is like a scientific approach like, okay, once I'm here, I need to do these things in my mind or like in my body. Not really. No, I think... uh, Everything about my approach to running is like entirely opposite of, of my scientific background. <laughs> That's cool though. It like rounds everything out. <laughs> You're like, I'm just going to go do this. Yeah. Like, oh, data <laughs> systems. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you aren't like on Strava analyzing like everything, your stride and no. your cadence and all that. <laughs> nice i try to i try to be like one of those people and i'll track it i'll throw it in the excel sheet and i'm like what this is bullshit yeah (laughs) like i'm just like i felt good running done like that's all that matters or like that one sucked yeah i think everyone can figure out their own system for doing things and for some you know those numbers and you know putting it all on paper makes it really like helpful for them and for me that's just not how my brain wants to process running you know that's so cool. <laughs> that's actually way better than if you were like, oh, yeah, I dig into every number and I could tell you right here and there. Like, that's neat. But like, <laughs> So if you're running 24 hours, because I, I know you've done several 24-hour races, and I, I, my guess is, and tell me if I'm wrong, like the first pain cave, you come back out of it, you feel like, let's say, 80% like of, of maximum greatness. And the next pain cave, it's like 60%. Like, it's kind of a pendulum, right? Tell us, and you're like, oh, I just feel terrible. Like, is that, A, if, is, if that's right, like, then B would be, how do you deal with that knowing, like, I'm not going to ever feel as good as I did when I started, but I'm going to hit more and more caves as I go on. Like, that has to be pretty, like, scary. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's the draw of the longer races is, Um, there's a lot of things that you just can't predict and how long you spend in the cave, you know, or when it shows up or, or just how those cycles kind of roll for a race are, um, for me at least, and maybe this is because I don't crunch the data, but for me, they seem, you know, kind of unpredictable and a little bit random and, and just riding that wave as it comes is all part of it. So it feels scary, but it's also like, okay, sweet. I found the other side, you know, like, let's just roll with this while it's here and, uh, and not get too excited. Cause you know, yeah, it'll, right. it'll crash down again soon <laughs> totally. and that's okay. It's funny. Cause Chris Hoth talks a lot about how volume will find like pain and like it will pull it out. But he's like talking about that over like the course of training, like volume over months and yours is like volume over one single race. So when you're done with these things, um, are you just like beer collapse? Well, the beer helps everything. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Walking after two helps, I think. Like as bad as it hurts, I think um, I usually try and get out for a little stroll, get some air, get some movement, get the blood flowing a little bit, and it helps me bounce back faster usually. 
So there's physical recovery, the things we can see, feel, touch, talk about. But what about the other side, the depletion, the emotions, the fact that when so much has been put on the line and exerted, how does an elite athlete recover from that? I've read some things about going into deep depression, wondering what's next, wondering if that's the peak. Usually I have something next, whether it's a, a race or, you know, getting together with my family or, or something. And um, while, you know, running is what I do right now, I think uh, my husband and I are like very comfortable, you know, not like, I don't know. I don't think we revolve our life around it necessarily. And so um, after a race, we enjoy that time. And, you know, the the lower mileage days and, you know, loading up on more food than normal probably. And, <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, usually thinking of like where we should get away for a weekend to hang out with friends or something and uh, making it not a, like not about the race or the running really at all. Uh, that is so great because there's a sense that we measure our self-worth all too often on like our physical abilities or our accomplishments. And when they don't go perfect, you just feel like you're a garbage human being, right? And it spreads into everything. But that's like when you just centralize everything in your life around a craft. Um, and that's pretty toxic to say like, oh, I didn't, you know, run this race exactly how I wanted to. I must suck as a human. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really great that that doesn't seem to be your angle with it. You're like, I just, I can do this thing. I want to see how far I can go with it. And it's super rewarding and fun. And the community is great, but it's not going to ruin me if it doesn't all go 100% right. Yeah. I mean, and like after Western States, for sure, I was bummed for, um, I think I, I hung out with family and friends for a few days after where it wasn't anywhere near the topic of conversation, you know, so we could kind of pretend it was totally separate. And then um, when we finally got back here and it was just Kevin and I in Golden, then I was like bummed for, I think I gave myself like two days just to be like disappointed and, you know, how it had gone down and a little bit frustrated with an injury, obviously. Oh, sure. But then it was like, all right, you, you don't get to be bummed anymore. If you want to get back to running, now we make a plan to get better. And Hell so then yeah. it was like just forward motion from there and not dwelling on, you know, what could have been or or uh, the mistakes I made that led to this, you know, or beating myself up about it. It was like, here we are. Here's the situation. What do we do from here? That's like athlete's mindset to me. And if something goes wrong, give yourself X amount of time. And then move on. Yeah. And like in that X amount of time, you could feel as bad as you want about it. Like you have that permission, but then you can't. Yeah. You just have to go and perform again. Yeah. That's uh, super powerful. Well, the wallowing doesn't, you know, it's not productive. No, <laughs> not at all. And I mean, honestly, if we're like being very candid, no one wants to be around that for too long. No. Like Kevin would be like, cool. Like, so we're, we're done with this now. Yeah. Like, please. Like, but I'm sure he wouldn't say it exactly like that. But, well. No, he's way too nice. He would never. <laughs> so how did it, what was the turning point when you had the opportunity to do this at a professional level? Um, and, and, like, how did that all come about? Um, it was more that, it, was, it wasn't that I had the opportunity to do it professionally. It was that I wanted to go all in on it. And I um, had a husband who had a job, so, like, me stopping working to try this was not going to make it so we wouldn't eat, you know, yeah, for that yeah. week. Um, so it was more like, I don't know, we 
basically we're having all these conversations about like when we're 90 and reflecting on our lives, you know, are we going to wonder what could have like, what could we have done if we had tried this full on and not, you know, disperse the miles throughout a work day and um, tried to, you know, work the normal job and then squeeze in everything else. And right. And decided that we didn't want to wonder that when we were older. We wanted to, you know, take the risk, go full on cannonball into this thing and see. And then, like we were saying uh, earlier, just figure it out if it didn't work or if it did work. Like, take that train wherever it went. Hell Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was more just a choice that we wanted to pursue this full on and Thankfully, he was super supportive of it. And, um, you know, he would be going off to work at 4 a.m. and I'm sipping coffee at 7 a.m. deciding where I want to run that day. You know, that's like our new <laughs> life like reality. And, <laughs> and he had no problem with the shift in it and, um, and then just seeing what we're, we were able to do with it. That's so cool. Yeah. Very lucky. Oh, yeah. And like, mm-hmm. you know... <sighs> so scary to look at life further out and think, oh boy, like what would we have decided like was a great thing and what would we look back, you know, if we would have just done that, right? Right, yeah. Like that's terrifying. Who wants to have those? When you do it, it feels like, oh, more people should just do this. Like totally (laughs) adjust and make the lifestyle changes so that it can work and then and then go for it and see. And if it doesn't work, you know, readjust. Yeah, like there's so many things you can do. And I get a lot of people asking me like, how did you come to the choice to quit your job? I'm like, it's not that hard of a choice. It's a job. <laughs> I just quit one day and I'm like, well, I'll figure it out. Um, and it, I, I feel the same exact way. I'm like, everybody should do this. Like, I'm so much happier now. Yeah. And shit always comes in life, but you can deal with it a lot better when you're not like spending eight to 12 hours a day doing this one thing that you don't particularly love. Yeah. Like if more people just pursued their passions with a thousand percent of themselves, I think this world would be a pretty amazing place. Yeah. Yes. I could not agree more. So what does that look like? What do you think when you look, and I hate these questions, but I think it's a fair one to ask. Um, (laughs) Like how old are you? You're 32, 35. Mm -hmm. Ah, oh boy. Damn, I have no excuses then. I could always be like, oh, it's hard to run really far because I'm 35. <laughs> now I just need a moment to feel bad about myself. <laughs> okay. well, we'll, we'll run together this weekend. Oh, God. Like, A, super stoked. B, super terrified. <laughs> oh, come um, on. <laughs> so, like, 10 years from now, what do you think would be, like, where will Courtney be in 10 years? I don't know. I think uh, for sure I'm going to stick with this ultra running thing and um, keep trying to push my own limits and enjoy, you know, everything that comes with it. And, um, I'm going to do that as long as it's enjoyable, you know, as long as it's fun for me. And, uh, as long as my body and my health are still on point. Heck yeah. <laughs> and then we'll kind of see, like, I don't want to, um, I don't know what that path will look like. I think now that I've realized we get to choose our paths like this through life and that we get, you know, this one life to navigate however we want. I have no idea what road I'll be on when I'm 45. Uh, That's somebody's, who was I talking to the other day about? It was choice. It was Amelia. 
when she had said that she, you know, when she opened up about certain personal things in her life with her eating disorders, that she realized she had the choice to be who she is and who she wants to be, and that there was no expectation of who she needed to be based on what people perceived of her or thought that she should be and yeah. how powerful that was. And I remember after that, that conversation, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, but that is huge. Like realizing you have the power to make your own choice. It's almost like everything opens up at that point. Yeah. It's, it's truly limitless, which I know sounds like super hackneyed or cheesy, but it's pretty true and it's awesome. Well, it's pretty cool. It's like, Oh yeah, I am the driver of this. Yeah. And I, and I get to take this life wherever I want and at whatever speed I want. And yeah. And w- while we're here, we should be doing that, I think. Yeah, we should be doing that. I read an article once. I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes. It was this older guy and he was the the intro photo was like him in this ratty old chair with like 13 cats. And just all <laughs> these photos in this tiny little studio like, oh boy. This is going to be grim. And then he, this dude had led like the most amazing life. And this was probably 10 years ago I read this. He had been a cruise boat captain, a member of a band in Greece, he, a diving, like all these things because wow. he always just said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll yeah. do that. Yeah. And he died, you know, not like dirt poor, not super wealthy. but And then you realize all the photos were like of this life that looked like 13 different people. I remember thinking, yeah, hell yeah, that's what I want to be able to do. That's super cool. Right? Like you you can make the choice to be an ultra runner now and then you can go do whatever the heck sounds great, you know, after. Yeah. Um, have you ever looked at this, the swim run thing? I have. So I would definitely need to do some work on swimming. <laughs> yeah, swimming's really hard. <laughs> I think any of those adventures are cool. Yeah. You know, I think um, like an Ironman would be cool to try at some point. I think... There's a Leadman race. Um, it's Leadman. a series of races in Leadville where you're mountain biking a bunch of them and then you run a bunch of them. Oof. So it ends up being like three months of, you know, doing various different ultras on a mountain bike or running, culminating wow. with a hundred mile mountain bike and then a week later, a hundred mile run. God. I'm like, those are just crazy challenges that it would be fun to see if I could survive, you know? That's insane. And so, like, the swim run thing is another where they're, like, going between islands. Islands, yeah. yeah. So cool. So cool. Like, what? And, like, worst case, you don't make it to the next island. You are on an island that you swam and ran to or swam to and then ran across. Right. Like, that's awesome. What an adventure. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I'm in for any of that kind of stuff. That's so I think it good. Sounds like, yeah, such fun suffering. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there are a few things that Courtney is often asked about. One being her affinity for the long inseam of her shorts, and another being her love of any food and beer that just tastes good. I mean, she of course believes that. Yeah, there's a lot of different theories behind different food things, you know, and people figure out what feels good for them and and believe in it and stick with it. And I think that's wonderful for me. I like to just eat what tastes delicious and drink what tastes delicious and uh, not worry about it. Another one that is commonly asked of Courtney and many endurance athletes are the hallucinations. Um, The hallucinations will usually come in the nighttime of a really long race when my brain is already really tired. And then I have seen some pretty cool stuff out there. Um, I saw a leopard in a hammock. I saw a cello player. Oh I God. saw a, 
an ice castle that looked so real. Like I was ready to walk into it. Like how big is this ice castle? It was like in the distance or like right in front of you? That one was really big and pretty close. Yeah, it was off to the side and just kept staring at it, trying to figure out, you know, how did this ice castle get here? And like, where should I go in? You know? That's awesome. I saw a giant cowboy twirling a rope one time, like with this huge yellow bucket hat. They're pretty vivid usually. Holy crap. Isn't it fascinating? Like once we deprive our brain and our body of like the essentials, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. And it's like, how did this, where, where are you coming from? <laughs> yeah. Why an ice castle? Like, yeah. Is that like dream analysis? Someone should analyze hallucinations. And oh. <laughs> Guess what? I did. And I emailed them to her. The funny thing is they actually make pretty good sense. I guess our brains are smart. And I suppose I should share what I've seen. Not that I've run nearly as far as Courtney, but in some of my longer full-day pursuits in the mountains, I've seen eyes of, like, demon form, though. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I want to analyze this. No analysis needed. (laughs) That spoke for itself. (laughs) I think we're good. We're going to move on. (laughs) Dang. Okay, well, now that that's all out there. um, Okay, so how... What would like be your ending message? Like a story, an anecdote, or like a deep, dark secret, or anything, however you want to end it. What? Totally up to you. What? Yes. Yes, because no one ever knows it's coming, and it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I don't, I don't actually know how I want to end it. I feel like um, what should be known is that I really love singing out on the trails to myself. But in the seventh grade, I was asked to leave the choir because because I was so bad and I couldn't match a note. (laughs) I didn't know that. Wow. Seventh grade. Oh, my God. I was just... I mean, think what could have been. (laughs) I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Okay, I know I said it was the end, but I had to ask what sort of music she sings. I love country music. Michael Jackson, Prince, Whitney Houston type music. I love uh, early 2000s, I would say, rap and hip hop and pop. And I love Disney. What? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have Spotify? No, I have a iPod Shuffle. You are so legit. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense, right? Because if you have like a, a, a 945, it dies really fast playing music. If you have a phone, it's not going to last long. But an iPod Shuffle will last like a year yeah. without the battery dying. Yeah. Damn, I wanted to see what the last song in your Spotify was. No Spotify there. Oh. I'll get out my cassette tapes. Do you still have cassette tapes? <laughs> no, I don't know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Probably Ace of Base. <laughs> okay, you know the line, it's like life is demanding without understanding? Yeah. <laughs> that got stuck in my head the other day and I could not figure out what it was. 
And then once I figured it out, I listened to that song like over and over again. That's crazy. It got stuck in your head out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. That's kind of cool. Maybe it was like the demands of life or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. I think we're going to have a good weekend. I think so too. (laughs) It's going to be fun. Courtney, I'm excited. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's the show. Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to sit for the Wilder Mind podcast. To Sufferfest Beer Company, thank you for believing in Wilder Mind Co. to bring the suffer story of Courtney DeWalter to life. And to all of you, thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to tune in, to share, to stoke, and to be part of the Wilder Mind community, especially during these trying times for the entire world. It means so much that you continue to be here. The Wilder Mind podcast is hosted and produced by yours truly. Theme music by the incredibly talented Alexis Tia. Branding by the genius of Finletter Creative. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whoever you're there with, to your wildest self, be true. Illuminations on something bold. Restless soul will follow.